The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to John, glory to you, Lord Christ. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, when the disciples were behind locked doors for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And then he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, he said to them, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of another, they are forgiven. But if you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Let us pray together. Father, we believe that you inspired your servant Paul to record these words in Romans chapter 6. We believe these words not only had power in the day that Paul penned them, but we believe they have power this day because they're inspired by your Holy Spirit. So we pray, come Holy Spirit and open this word for us as never before, that we would be changed more and more to be like the risen Jesus. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to be seated. I'm really soaking wet, actually. It's amazing. <laughs> I rolled my sleeves up like I've learned each time, but I just keep getting wetter and wetter as these baptisms go on. What a great way to start our Easter sermon series than being soaked at the baptismal font. Because again, as we look at this series starting, this series titled, We Believe in the Resurrection, we have to begin at the baptismal font. That's where this has to begin. You see, we affirm, at least everyone here who's a believer in Christ Jesus, affirms that we believe in the resurrection. The resurrection of the body, our own future resurrection. That's what we're affirming in the creed. But the question is, do we live like we believe in the resurrection? We say we believe in the resurrection, but do we live like we believe in the resurrection, our own future resurrection? See, if we're honest, there is a great disconnect often between our faith and our actions. It's kind of like, you know, the hockey playoffs. <laughs> you know, you always fill in your brackets for who you're going to think are going to win. And I can say till I'm blue in the face, I believe in the Dallas Stars. But I'll admit, you know, about a month ago when I filled in my playoff bracket, I put in the Tampa Bay Lightning to win the Stanley Cup because they were just doing so well. I believed in the stars, but I put my bets behind Tampa Bay. Something amazing happened. A miracle. <laughs> First time in the history of the NHL, the president's trophy winner, in this case Tampa Bay, that were unstoppable this season, lost in four straight games in the first round. So all of a sudden, everybody's playoff bracket is busted. And they did the unthinkable. They have what they're calling the second chance playoff bracket. So now I have an opportunity to finally put my pen to where my faith is supposed to be. I've now said in my new bracket, second chance bracket, the Dallas Stars are going to win the Stanley Cup. 
Now, you come back next week and I'll tell you how you can authentically, biblically, in an orthodox way, pray for hockey. I got this straight from the archbishop, okay? So I'm going to share that next week. So come back. You can apply it to the Cowboys if you want. So come back next week. We're going to fill the church. How can you authentically, in an orthodox way, pray for your favorite sports team? Well, what am I preaching about this morning? Okay, um, (laughs) resurrection. Again, that difference between what we believe and our action. See, we say we believe in the resurrection of the body, but do we actually live like we believe it. See, in verses 3 and 5 here in Romans chapter 6, Paul says something incredible about baptism and the resurrection. He says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? So he's linking the waters of baptism with a linkage to Jesus' death. But then in verse 5, he goes even further. And he says, for if we have been united with him in a death like his... We shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. In other words, what Paul is saying is that in baptism, we are united with Jesus in his death and resurrection. And it makes sense when you think of the waters of baptism. We go in and die in those waters. The old life dies, the old self dies, and then we come out risen into newness of life. This is what baptism is. It's our connection, our unity with Jesus in his own death and resurrection. But verse 4, he goes further. He says, We were buried, therefore, with him by his baptism into death in order that just as Christ was was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And all of a sudden that changes it. See, it moves it from being some future resurrection alone that we're believing in. But Paul is saying, no, now we're going to walk in this newness of life. In other words, when we say we believe in the resurrection, and this, our baptism, which unites us with resurrection, Paul's saying, you need to walk out that resurrection right now. You need to be walking and living out that resurrection hope in your life today. It's not just resurrection then, it's resurrection life now. A new life now. Paul loves to use this metaphor of walking, that you would walk in newness of life. You think of Ephesians where again and again he comes back to this idea of walking, walking, walking out your faith, living out your faith. It makes sense as a metaphor, doesn't it? To use walking as a description of the quality of someone's life. Because if you watch a person walk, you can learn a lot about what's going on inside. You know, I think of like when our kids were really little, you know, a three-year-old. You can instantly tell by the way a three-year-old is walking as to what's going on inside. Right? You can tell just by the way they walk whether a three-year-old is trying to sneak through the room and do something not appropriate. You can tell when a three-year-old is really sorry and they're trying to you know, think about how to confess it. You can see a three-year-old really, really sad, just crumpled down, kind of walking. You can also tell when a three-year-old clearly really needs to use the facilities. The point is, you can tell so much about 
their walk, you can tell so much about what's going on inside them because of their walk. Paul's saying, how is your walk? How's your resurrection walk? How does the way you're living your life demonstrate that you truly believe in this future resurrection life? See, Paul will tell us in Romans 6 that we walk this life, we live this new resurrection life now in two ways. As we wrestle with our baptism, we gotta struggle with this, we gotta wrestle down this question of our baptism, but also as we wonder at our baptism, as we stand in awe of what God has done in our baptism. Wrestling and wonder. First, we walk this new life by wrestling with our baptism. Verses six and seven, Paul says this, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. It's incredible. Paul is saying in baptism, we have been set free from sin. We are no longer enslaved to sin. The former self has died and with it, so has sin died. And it sounds incredible and you want to shout to the rooftops and then you realize that's not exactly my day-to-day experience. As I live out my life, I don't see sin absolutely put to death in me. I don't see myself completely free from being enslaved to sin. In the daily grind, we see that we are broken and we continue to fall into sin again and again. Though redeemed, we continue to fall into sin. So what is Paul saying? It's like that little girl who's got her Bible memory verse. It's the same Bible memory verse we used with our our, our baptismal candidate just a moment ago. Matthew 5, 16. Let your light so shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. And this little girl says that. She states her memory verse before her mother and then instantly her little brother runs through the room and she punches her brother. And the mother says, what happened to the light? And she says, you know, mommy, sometimes it seems I blow myself out. And it's true. We know that we fall short. We know that we fall into sin. But, you know, it's not even just as we look at ourselves. It's as we look at the people of God, as we look at our region, at our families, at our country, at our nation. We see the brokenness of the world, even as we look at the more corporate life of the church. John Paul II, a number of years ago, when addressing a group of leaders from the developing nations, said this to them. He said, don't look at the Western nations for models of your development. The Western nations know how to make things, but they don't know how to live with them. They have acquired unbelievable technology, but they've forgotten how to raise their children. I mean, it's a terrible indictment about the truth of where we stand. We are a broken people. And yet, in these words, in this water, in this oil, in the work of the Holy Spirit, all happening in the font, we truly have this new life. It seems like this juxtaposition we stand in. We believe what God has done in the font, and yet I live out my life broken. 
Luther gave a formula for this to describe it. Describing this wrestling we have with sin, even after redemption. The formula in Latin was simul justus et pacator, which means simultaneously saint and sinner. At the same time, though I am redeemed, I still wrestle with the old man within me. Maybe this is what Paul meant in Philippians 2 when he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That we continue to wrestle, though baptized, though redeemed, we must daily wrestle. As the scriptures will say, as if you want to use a theological term, that we mortify the flesh, that we war against sin in ourselves with the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is why the church says the daily confession and repentance is so vital. That in our lives, we are called on a daily basis to wrestle with our baptism, to say, all right, how am I out of step with my baptism today? And as the Holy Spirit makes that available to you, reveals that to you, that then you repent, you turn from it and ask God's strength and grace to live afresh. Again, we repent and believe the claims of John chapter 20. Jesus standing there on the evening of the resurrection where he speaks those words of peace over the disciples, peace be with you, and shows them his wounds. He says, listen, you have peace. If you're in me, you have peace with God. Not because of what you've done, not because of how well you're doing today, not because of your perception of your sinless self, which if you think that's yourself, you're deceived. No, you have peace with God because of these wounds. I have borne everything wrong in you so that you can be right with God. We still wrestle as we stand in that amazing truth because we're simply not, we're simply not going to be content to let sin remain. We're going to wrestle. As Paul says in verses one and two of chapter six, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. We daily wrestle with our baptism. As C.S. Lewis says so brilliantly, we learn on the one hand that we cannot trust ourselves even in our best moments. And on the other hand, that we are not to despair even in our worst moments for our failures are forgiven. The only fatal thing is to sit down content with anything less than perfection. That's what wrestling with our baptism means. That we continue to believe the promises and wrestle with the reality of the brokenness that we see. How am I not living into this new resurrected life today? Oh Lord, put that to death in me now. But see, not only do we wrestle, but Paul says we must also wonder at our baptism. See, wrestling is not enough. If we left you there, you'd be in this constant pattern just of identifying sin, repenting, moving forward, falling back in. We need something more. We need to wonder. We need to walk this new life by wondering at our baptism. See, verse 11 has this great word. Paul says, so you must 
also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus Christ. Consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now that word consider, it's a word about reality. Sometimes we will translate it as think, think yourselves or count yourselves or reckon yourselves. But really it's saying, would you affirm the reality that is yours? Would you grasp a hold of the reality that is yours, that you are in those waters of baptism, in Christ, dead to sin and alive to God? Grab a hold of that, consider that. And see, what this is saying is this truth that you are alive to to God, that you are dead to sin, is all been the work of God's grace. It's all that work of the great swap where Jesus, again, took everything that was ugly and broken and evil and wicked in you and me and he took it on himself and said, I'll bear the punishment for that. And then he put everything holy and pure and beautiful and righteousness about himself and put it on us. And you may say, that doesn't seem like a fair trade and it isn't, that's grace. That's what he means In 2 Corinthians, Paul means in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, that God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God. This is the reality that we are to hold to, to cling to, this reality that has been ours through the waters of baptism. Because hear me on this, friends. Your reality your grasping this reality is not to be conditional upon your experiences of what's happening right today. Your ability to grasp this reality is to be rooted solely in the reality of those waters of baptism. You may have the worst day of your life, you are baptized. You may have the best day of your life, you're still a sinner. Your Reality is found in that font, not in what's happening moment by moment. And it should produce in you and I wonder. As Eugene Peterson said, unfortunately, we do not live in a world that promotes or encourages wonder. When we were children, we were in a constant state of wonder. The world was new, tumbling in on us in profusion. We staggered through each day, fondling, looking, tasting. Words were wondrous. Running was wondrous. Touch, taste, sound were all wonders. We lived in a world of wonders, but gradually that sense of wonder got squeezed out of us. The gospel, what happens in the font throws you and I back into a state of wonder. Wonder. And see this wonder, as we try to grasp a hold of the reality of what's happened to us in that font, and that wonder forms, do you know what happens? It begins to actually transform us. It begins reshaping our minds and our imaginations. That suddenly we begin to dream bigger dreams about what God has in store for us. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, Paul has this wonderful moment where he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your soul? No. 
That's good, but that's not what Paul says. The renewing of your spirit, no. Again, good. Your body, no. All good. Your community, your actions, your workplace, no. Through the renewing of your mind. Be transformed through the renewing of your mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You see, Paul is saying to us that the gospel is meant to produce in us a wonder that will expand our Christian imaginations. The wonder of what God has said to you and to me in those waters of baptism and what he will do in our lives by his word and by his Holy Spirit. We need a bigger vision of ourselves that comes from God. When I was in Ottawa, 10 years, serving in a downtown church, four blocks from the Parliament building, we had all kinds of young 20-somethings coming in the church. They were young, they were well-educated, they had great jobs in government, and they streamed through the doors of our church, and then they would stream through the door of my office. The young men would come to me and the young women would go to Pastor Michelle, my associate rector, because they had lots of need for counseling. And I, I began quickly to find a pattern when these young 20-somethings that worked on the hill would come to me and say, they, they'd want to do one of two things. They'd either want to talk about vocation, what am I next called to do in my life, or they'd want to talk about pornography, it was, it was like so much of a pattern. Eventually, after a while, they would walk through the door and I'd simply say to them as they shut the door, okay, are we here to talk about vocation or pornography today? And they'd look at me and I could tell immediately what the answer was. You see, as we walked through so many, walked with so many young men through this horrible, horrible addiction that affects so many men in America and beyond, and, and statistically, so many men sitting in this room and women too, it's not enough to simply present the gospel of forgiveness. We did that, and that's vital. It's not enough to give them an accountability group, which a 12-step program or an accountability group to help them work through it. That was important, but still not enough. What these young men ultimately needed was they needed a bigger vision for their life. They needed to be reminded of their baptism. Have you forgotten who you are? Let your imagination grow through forgiveness, through accountability, with a picture of who God is forming you to be. As Ephesians 5, 8 says, once you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of lights. That is your baptismal inheritance. The Holy Spirit is working in you to bring that about from one degree of glory to the next every single day of your sojourn here before your bodily death and your future resurrection. Jesus is always calling us not to... Become who I should be. But graciously say, would you just become who you are? Become who I've made you to be. Luther, when he was tempted by the devil, would yell at him. And this is what he'd say. I have been baptized. Do we wonder at our baptism? We believe in the resurrection, but do we live like we believe it? And so we have begun our Easter sermon series on the resurrection here at the baptismal fonts. 
do you take time to wrestle with your baptism? Do you take time to wonder at your baptism? I'll close with this. My first Sunday here at Christ Church. There I am sitting at the back of the room, rector-elect, asking myself, how can I possibly do this? Knowing how broken and imperfect I am, knowing the monumental call in front of me, and just living that whole narrative out as I'm standing at the back. Service is starting, about to walk in. Thanks be to Jesus, we put our baptismal fonts at the entrance of our church. Because as I was there struggling through, what does it mean, imperfect, broken as I am, to enter into this huge calling? There's the font flowing right in front of me. And it was as if the Lord Jesus himself was saying, Paul, I know how broken you are, and I know what I've called you to. So why don't you just dip your fingers in the baptismal water, make the sign of the cross, and get on with it. This is where we find the strength and the power to walk our resurrection life now. We find it at the font. Will you wrestle with your baptism today? Will you wonder at your baptism today? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.